Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, good afternoon, King's Church. It is wonderful to be back with you. You know, I really look forward to coming to Cambridge. Uh, I, I, I just love coming and being amongst you. Um, you are a wonderful part of the body of Christ. You really are. And, you know, when Jesus looks down on, on King's Church, I know he looks down with a big smile on his face. I'm not just saying that. I know that he does. He looks down with a big smile on his face. And just before I preach this afternoon, I just wanted to share with you what, what, I, what I find sometimes happens when I walk into a building. Quite often God shows me something in the spirit about what's going on or what he's about to do in a place. And this morning, when I walked up the stairs and I walked into, into this room here, what I saw was a vision. And I saw a vision of the church. I saw a vision of you, all of you. So that's the whole church. And I saw flames of fire all over your shoulders and all over your heads both sides flames of fire and the holy spirit said to me that very very soon there's going to be a fresh outpouring of his fire that's going to be coming upon you as a church and you know the the fire in the Bible, fire is, you know, it speaks of two things, doesn't it, mainly? One is to do with purifying, and the other is to do with fire and ignition. And the, the, the flame that I saw happening uh, was a flame of ignition, of fire. But it was coming after a, fl- a period of time where there's been flames to do with purifying and, and testing. And I believe that for a number of you, for a number of you, you've been through a season of testing and uh, you've come through that and are coming through it. And the Lord is by the grace of God, you are coming through that. And there is coming now a time of, of anointing, fresh anointing and fresh fire. And I know that John shared, um, it wasn't the same picture, but it was a similar kind of thing. We, know, we don't talk to each other uh, before we, we minister. And uh, it's, it's amazing how often the Lord will just, you know, like hand in glove, there'll be a kind of a coupling together and a flowing together in the spirit. But John was sharing this morning about turning up the heat and uh, in the whole area of re- believing and um, expecting increase in the miraculous. And I believe that actually this fire that is coming upon you, there is going to be a The fire of God is going to move in such a way that there's going to be a tremendous boldness that comes upon many of you in the sharing of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. There's going to be a fire and a boldness that comes upon you as as a body to go out and minister to the sick out on the streets. Take the gospel out. Uh, There's a time of increase coming. A time of increase. So I just wanted to share, share that with you. Submit that to you. You know, that the prophetic should always confirm what the Lord is already speaking to you uh, about as a, as a church. So I submit that to you that um, to, to weigh it and to uh, to do with it as you see fit. So look, we're going to share the word. But before we look at the word together, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your mercies are new today to each one of us. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power of the name of Jesus 
And we thank you, Lord, for that you've given us your word. Thank you, Lord, that there is life in your name. And there is life that comes through hearing your word. Faith comes as we hear. And we pray this afternoon that as we hear your word, we look forward with expectant hearts to receive faith, to move forward in the purposes and plans that you have for each one of us. And I pray also, Lord, that for anyone here that doesn't yet know you, that, Lord, they wouldn't leave this building without the joy of salvation and the certainty of eternal life. And we agree together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, bless you. If you were going to give a title uh, to what I'm going to speak on this afternoon, it would be the five F's of finishing. The five F's of finishing. Thanks to Phil for knocking up some graphics to go with the, with the message. They're great. Um, and I'm going to be speaking out of 2 Timothy. Um, there's a, a fair passage to read here. And so we're just going to get into the words. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe you've got a phone. You can flick there. If you haven't got either, then just listen in or follow on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10. This is Paul writing. But you, speaking to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God, And the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Some translations uh, say myths instead of fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. 
fulfill your ministry. For I am being already poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus, sorry, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antiochus, I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with, uh, with a carpus at Troas when you, when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, I told you it is a long passage, uh, and don't worry, we shan't go, it, God shan't go through this line by line, precept on precept, uh, but I should be done by about six o'clock. Is that okay? <laughs> don't worry. Only joking. So the background here. Um, most New Testament scholars agree that this is Paul's last writing, his last letter, uh, and he, that he's writing it from a Roman prison. In his first imprisonment, he, he, it was kind of like under house arrest. So there was a certain amount of freedom. But here he's actually in a prison. And as, it, as is mentioned, you know, towards the end there where we read, uh, at that time when he's writing this, only Luke is with him. So he's, he's pretty much on his own. But it's not, as you pick up, as you hear this passage, he's not writing. There's no sense of despondency or despair. Actually, what comes through is this continuing tremendous strength and faith that Paul has. He knows his Lord. He knows that he's run his race. He knows that he's made it to the end. And what he's concerned to do is to pass that baton on to his son, his spiritual son. So his spiritual son, Timothy, is, is the, he's the son and the grandson of two, more than likely, two of his earliest converts from his first missionary journey. Timothy, dear to him. And he's, you know, he's trained him in the ministry. And here he's pouring out his heart. It's a very personal letter. This morning, John preached out of one Timothy. I didn't know he was going to do that. This afternoon, here am I out of two Timothy. Both these letters written to his most dear son. And do you know, I have the sense this morning Sorry, this afternoon. I had the sense this afternoon that the Lord 
is writing to you. And once th- this message is to you as his dear son, his dear daughter. You are his dear church here. He's writing with that heart of a father towards his son. So as you receive this afternoon, imagine you are receiving this, these words from a loving father. I don't know what your earthly father was like. You know, some fathers are pretty good. Some are pretty indifferent. Some are, you know, downright awful. I don't know what your father was like, but listen, the Bible makes it really clear, abundantly clear, that God is a good father. If you want to know what God is like, just look at his son. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the exact image, the exact representation of the father. So this is to you, this message is to you from a loving father. He loves you to bits. You know, there are many metaphors that people use to describe life. Here are just a few of them. People say that life is like a journey. Life is like a game. Life is a roller coaster with many ups and downs. Life is a book with many chapters. And if you're Forrest Gump, then life is like a box of chocolates. And there are different ones that used in the Bible. But the Apostle Paul just uses a small number of metaphors. And two that he uses particularly, one, sorry, two of them he mentions here in this passage. The first one is of a fight. Uh, He also mentions that in Philippians and Galatians. But this one here, the one that we're going to focus on, Is life being like a race? Paul says, I have run the race. I've run the race. Now, the image we've got here, which is a fantastic image, it really looks like somebody coming out of the blocks. But actually, the Christian life is not so much a sprint. The Christian life is much more like an endurance race. It's much more like running a marathon. And actually, there are, there are two things that are really, really critical about running the race. One is how we start. Getting off to a good start and getting good foundations are really important. I want to encourage you, if, if you're new to faith, I really encourage you to get on this Alpha course and to, to re- start reading your Bible and to learn as much as you can and encounter God as much as you can through the Word of God. But even more important than how we start our race... It's how we finish. It's how we finish. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's those that endure to the end that will be saved. Those that endure to the end. And I don't know where you're at at the moment. You know, for many people, their Christian life can be a series of what appear to be ups and downs, like a roller coaster. I don't know where you are in that kind of journey at the moment, if you like, on the roller coaster. Whether you're kind of feeling like you're on the top and everything is good and it's like, you know, all your prayers seem to be answered and, you know, whenever you pray for the sick, God heals them. I don't know what it's like. It could be that actually at the moment you're right at the bottom. Wherever you are, it's really important that you don't just look at your circumstances. Don't ignore them, but don't just look at them. 
Keep your eyes fixed on the finishing line. Finishing the race. That is what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. So five F's to help us finish the race. These five F's, they're all found here in kind of one form or another in this passage that we've just read. So, the first F. Number one, if you're making notes, this is your first one, your first F. The first F is follow. Verse 10 of chapter 3. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. That list kind of seems to start off really, really well, doesn't it? And then it seems to go downhill. We all love it when it's love and when it's glory and when everything's great. We're, we're up for following that. But actually, when things start to get tough, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because it's in those times when we face challenge that actually God is really getting to work on our hearts and dealing with the stuff within us, getting rid of the junk that is not like Christ and transforming us, molding us and changing us to become like him, to become like his son. Because Jesus Christ is completely committed to transforming you into his image. That's why you were born again. He was the firstborn. And we are born in his, we're going to become conformed to his likeness, into his image. And if there's anything that's getting in the way of that, then actually that's what he needs to deal with. That's what he's going to be molding. That's what he's going to be shaping within us. I have the sense, I have the sense now that there are a number of you that are going through this time of molding. Maybe it's to do with some decisions that you've made. That perhaps now you regret. Listen, I want to say this to you. Don't worry. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. The important thing is not whether we're down on the ground and we've messed up. The really important thing is about getting back up quickly. Getting on your feet. Fixing your eyes on the finishing line. And keep running the race. Amen. Amen. Notice that Paul talks here about, he lists various things, doesn't he? And he lists doctrine. Doctrine is really important because what we believe about God is critical to how quickly we will become transformed into his likeness. If we're believing false things about God, that will act as a barrier one way or another to the speed at which we're being transformed. I want to encourage you to read doctrine. Get hold of of good books apart from the word itself. Get hold of good books on doctrine. I encourage you to study the word. It's great to see that you're going through a, 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 um, a, a series at the moment. Next week, I believe. Peter's coming, isn't he? And he's teaching. I want to really encourage you, church. Know your Bible through and through. Know it inside out. 
What we believe about God is critical because right thinking leads to right believing, which leads to right living. There's a flow that it comes and it's all to do with what we know of God, both in our understanding intellectually and in our experience. The two to, to go together. So doctrine is key. Doctrine is really, really important. So get into the word. Love the word. It's really interesting as well, isn't it, that he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. He doesn't say anything there about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Of course, number one, the person that we are following is Jesus. But Paul is so confident that he is walking in obedience to Jesus that he's able to say to his son, follow what? Follow me. Follow my doctrine. Follow what, how I live my life. Because his life is a reflection of Jesus. He's in complete obedience to him. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Listen, I want to encourage you to be around leaders and follow leaders and learn from leaders whose lives reflect both the charisma and the character of Jesus. Both the nature of Jesus, his character, love, joy, peace, patience, all those, that fruit of the spirit. You see it in their lives. But also, not just that, also the charisma, the power, the healings, the miracles. Those are the people to follow. Those are the people to sit under. Amen? Amen. Well, I really encourage you to do that. You know, I've had, um, leadership is, is key. Leadership is key. Um, I, I have the privilege of traveling uh, with Jonathan Conrath. You know, I, that is a, I count it as a tremendous privilege. You know, the Lord, the Lord joined us together about three years ago. You know, I've spent many years knowing that I'm being called by God to be an evangelist. But I can honestly say it's only in the last three years since being in relationship with Jonathan where there's been this acceleration in terms of growth and fruitfulness in the, in the purposes of God in my life. And it's to do with being connected with the right people. God has people that you are to learn from and be connected, to be discipled by. It's really, really important. Leadership is key to how, how quickly and how fruitful we'll be in fulfilling the calling that God has on each one of us. God has a calling for each one of us. Is that right? It's absolutely right. And, you know, the Bible says, it says in Ephesians 4, that God has given Apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, not to get lots of glory. He's given them to equip the saints, that's us, for works of service. So in other words, if you see people doing the thing that you know that God has called you to do, you need to get with them. And you need to learn from them. Because they will be, they will be the, 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 uh, the, the means by which God's grace gift to you, by which you will then come into all the fullness of the purpose of God that God has for your life. 
Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, God is committed. I want to I just, where is Steve? Is he downstairs? Too? Well, I just want to give Steve's, you know, he's uh, organizing this mess. Listen, men, I want to really encourage you to get along to that men's meeting. Really, really encourage you. You know, uh, in 1 John 2, uh, it talks about the level, three levels of maturity in our faith. And it applies not just to men, but, but to women as well. And in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about these three stages. It talks about spiritual children. It talks about uh, young men. And it talks about fathers. Okay? So children, obviously, children, spiritual children, know two things fundamentally. Number one, that they're loved by the father. And number two, that they're forgiven. Sons have learnt through training in the word to become victorious. To be able to stand. And when the fight comes against them, when opposition comes, to be able to stand in their faith and not be moved. Fathers, that top level of maturity, are raising up sons, taking children and then leading them into sonship and then helping them to become fathers so that they can then do the same thing. So there's this process going on. I wonder where you are in that process. I want you to be really deliberate. I want to challenge you to be deliberate in seeking to mature to being a father or a mother in the faith so that you can be raising up sons and daughters who will not just do what you do, but will go even further than you've gone. That, that your ceiling will become their floor, their platform to go on from. Amen? Amen. God is committed to that. He's committed to that in these days. There's a tremendous work of that going on in the nation right now. Raising up sons ready for the move of God that is, is coming upon our nation. You know, there's, there are, there's only predominantly one area of the world at the moment that isn't in revival and that is north america and western europe everywhere else in the world statistically is in revival in other words the the definition is there are more people becoming born again than born naturally everywhere else in the world at the moment is in revival but god is committed to doing exactly the same thing In this nation and in the rest of Europe and in North America as he is in the rest of the world. Amen. And you you have a part to play in that. You are part of his plan for bringing this gospel message to the Western world. Exciting days we live in. So verse 12 says this. And by the way, this is probably a verse that you won't find on many fridge magnets. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There is opposition to our faith. We're well aware of it. Becoming an overcomer, becoming a son or a daughter, that young man that's able to stand, means that we're able to stand against persecution in whatever form it takes. If we're still a child, when persecution comes against us, that is, it becomes incredibly challenging and will often blow people off course. 
They might even go away for a while. But when we learn to stand and to stand on the word and to, and to fight with the weapons that God has given us, then we become overcomers. So whatever persecution comes against us, we're able to overcome. Hands up if you'd like to become an overcomer. Amen. Look at all those hands. Fantastic. Wow. God's committed to it. It's part of his plan for us. He wants it for each one of us. So the first F there, follow. Number one, we're following Jesus. I'm not sure how many pools there are in the nation, but wouldn't it be amazing to be around a pool who could confidently say, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. (laughs) What an amazing thing. The second F. The second F, two-fifths of the way through. It's definitely, it's definitely going to finish before six. The second F, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Verse 14 of chapter three. But you must continue in the things. Some translations translate that as you must be faithful. But you must continue in the things which you have learnt and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learnt them faithfulness is really really important faithfulness is about being committed to keep doing what we know we've commanded and taught to do to keep doing everything so everything that Jesus taught we're to continue in that and to be faithful at doing it amen in fact Jesus said that actually it's only those of us that are doing what he's commanded that love him. You'll find that in John. Obedience is key. Obedience is key in faithfulness. We have to obey. Whatever our circumstances, whatever the challenges, obedience is key. And obedience leads to breakthrough. Obedience leads to Christ's character being formed in us. Amen. Amen. So faithfulness is key. In chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, repeating in a sense this point, he says, fulfill your ministry. In other words, be faithful to do that which you've been called to do. The implication is that it's possible to actually stop doing it, to give it up, to lay it down. To not use the gifts that we've been given. John touched on that this morning. We are responsible once we've received the gifts to actually stir that up and to be using them and moving out of them. I want to challenge you this afternoon. Be faithful. Stir up the gifts that are in you. Be diligent to press through in all that God has gifted and called you to do. Some people give up. In fact, Demas is one of them. Chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul mentions there that Demas, has be- he's gone off. He's deserted him. Another word for desertion, of course, is being unfaithful. No, we are called to be faithful. Our, our, our lives, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as Phil has mentioned. You know, I don't want to have to have any report there left, you know. Jesus' report, Justin Slade. Oh, unfa- we wouldn't want it, would we? 
we're responsible to be faithful, to fulfill. Absolutely key. Now, faithfulness is one of those words because it speaks of, it goes with perseverance. It's not necessarily glamorous. You know, sometimes it doesn't feel glamorous or anointed serving by putting out the chairs or making the coffee or doing any of those other things that actually we know we're called to do in in serving Jesus. I just want to encourage you. Jesus sees everything we do. He sees everything. And he looks at our hearts. And he's looking to see that servant-hearted obedience to the call of God in our lives to be faithful in those small things. I want to encourage you to keep doing those. Whatever it is, whether anybody else gives you a word of encouragement or not, keep being faithful. You know, whether Pastor Phil or any of the other leaders happens to say to you, oh, thanks so much for doing, you know, that little thing that you did, whatever it was. Whether they say it or say it or not, Jesus is watching. And we should be listening for his well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So, chapter 3, verse 15. This is now on to point 3. A few smiles going around there. Point 3. The third F of finishing is faith. It says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It carries on in 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word literally means, the Hebrew word literally means God breathed. So this book is different to every other book in the world. This book is God breathed. He inspired the writers to write his words so that we can know God and we can know his thoughts, his feelings, his views. Everything we need is in this book. Everything we need is in this book. And it's by faith, of course. It's salvation. It's wisdom for salvation through faith In Christ Jesus, faith is a really, really important thing. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. And faith is in, notice, is in Christ Jesus. You know, when God created the world, he was actually waiting for Jesus to take His ideas, the Father's ideas, and for Jesus to speak those words out. And when Jesus spoke God's plans for the creation of the world out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit was waiting to move in response to those words to create everything. And of course, it's the same when we come to faith in Jesus. When we hear the name of Jesus... And we hear about his work, his life and his ministry. And then we hear about his finished work on the cross. It's faith that comes as we hear his word. 
Romans tells us, doesn't it, that faith comes by hearing the word and hearing by the word of God. By hearing by the word of God. Back to doctrine, back to the Bible. So faith, doctrine, the Bible are all interrelated here in this passage. That is why we need to be people of the book. There is a faith which will heal the sick. There is a faith, a prayer of faith, that will lead to provision. But there is a faith which is able to create the greatest miracle of all. And it is faith in the name of Jesus. You see, Jesus is unique. He is God's son. He lived a perfect life. Did nothing wrong, different to you and me. And not only was his life unique, but because of his perfect life, it made him uniquely qualified at the end of his life to be our substitute. To be us on that cross. See, really, each one of us, the Bible says, deserves to die for the things that we've done wrong. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he was literally dying our death for us on the cross. Paying the price that we deserve. He was paying it. He was taking that punishment. Why did he do that? He did it so that we can receive his forgiveness and his life. In return, he died our death so that we might receive his life. This is what the Bible calls the good news. It's what the Bible calls the gospel, which means good news. And listen, I want to say to you this afternoon, I don't, I don't know all of you here. I don't know all of your faces. I don't, I don't even know, you know, more than maybe half a dozen, a dozen names. So I don't know whether you have yet experience this saving faith but listen at the end of my message which I'll come to quite shortly now at the end of my message I'm going to pray a prayer a simple prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive this Jesus to receive what he did for you out of his heart of great love and compassion listen he knows we've all messed up he knows that he knows that we're separated from God And he loves us and he doesn't want us to carry on a day longer separated from saving faith that can only come through the name of Jesus. The Bible says that there is one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. There's only one name. We were singing about it this afternoon. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
The purpose of this saving faith, the purpose of the scriptures is found in verse 17. It says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word there, work, in Greek is the same word that Jesus used when he told the disciples of John who came to visit him. John was in prison. He sent his two of his disciples to come and say to Jesus, Jesus, are you really the Christ? And Jesus said, go back and tell them about the works that you've seen and heard. And those works are all the miracles that you hear about. The raising of the dead, the healing of the sick, the casting out of lepers. So this is to equip us to know God and to be able to demonstrate God's charisma, his power in the world around us. Amen. You know, sometimes being faithful in evangelism, some days when you, when you go out and share, you're, you're doing a lot of sewing. For me, yesterday was like that. I had a day of sewing. Maybe uh, there was a little bit of watering. Uh, Lewis and I had a great time out there in the morning, just sewing together, just sewing and sewing and sewing into people's lives. Precious time. You know, as evangelists, we love to do the reaping. But sometimes we just have to be faithful in the sewing. But there are other times when we go, I just want to tell you a couple of stories of, of recent uh, times out on the streets. You know, I've been, been going out with a young guy um, who's, uh, who's really passionate for the Lord, passionate to see the lost saved as well. Great young guy. And we've just been going out together, you know, taking the odd hour here and there together when, you know, we're both free, going out on the streets. And we were out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and literally, we just prayed together before going out. We always just pray for divine appointments, that God would lead us to people and bring people to us that are ready to receive Jesus. And as we walked, literally, we were more than 100 meters from my house where we've been praying. Around the corner comes a young guy. This guy's probably in his early 20s. He looks disheveled. And he looks a bit, you know, a bit world-weary, even at, you know, kind of young age. And we just kind of start chatting to him and share with him a little bit. And then just as I've walked towards him, you know, you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, quite often it's just like a quiet, gentle voice inside. And I felt the Lord say, I just, he just said these words. He said, father issues, father issues. And so as we were sharing, as I was sharing the gospel with him, I just started to talk to him about the, the, the relationship between the father and the son. And how the son agreed with the father before he came from heaven to go through what he did on the cross. And this provoked quite a, a sharp reaction from this young guy. And he said, you know, what kind of loving father would punish his son like that? And then he just started to disclose some really quite painful things from his childhood. Things that his earthly father had done to him. You know, we were able to just share with him about how God is different to earthly fathers and how that he is good. And that how, how actually he has a great purpose and plan for each one of us and wants us to know and be secure in his love. As he was walking towards us, at the same time as hearing this, this, this little phrase, we noticed, both Pete and I noticed, that he was having a bit of an issue walking. So he's kind of walking along. Like this. 
And so we, having stopped and, and stood around, he's doing a bit of shuffling around. We say to him, listen, um, what's going on with your legs? I says, oh, I've got, I'm on, he says, I'm on really high medication for, for this pain that I get. He says, every time I move my knees, they click. Every time. It's really painful. So, so listen, you know, Jesus has given us a wonderful promise. You know, if we lay our hands as believers on the sick and we pray for them in the name of Jesus, they'll be healed. Would you allow us to pray for you? So he said, well, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd really like that. So we just did that. We just knelt down and put our hands on his knees and prayed for him in the name of Jesus. We commanded the pain to go. We commanded his knees to be healed in Jesus' name. And then I stood back up and I said to him, so just, just try moving your legs. He said, no, 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 you didn't hear me. Every time I go like, every time I go like, and he goes like this. The clicking had instantly stopped and all of the pain that he was experiencing was gone right there and then. And then, of course, top tip for evangelists here. We didn't just leave it at the healing. We said, you know, Jesus has done this wonderful miracle for you. And he doesn't just want you healed. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to have a relationship with him, to know him as your savior and to know God as your perfect father. His name was Lewis as well. Lewis, would you like to receive this Jesus? And of course, his answer was yes. You know, we find nine times out of ten, probably 99 times out, out of 100. It's a very high percentage of people that experience a miracle. An unsaved person that experiences a miracle or some kind of encounter with the Spirit of God is ready right there and then. To give their lives to Jesus. Why? Because God there and then has demonstrated his love for them. In lesson, God is here in this place. God was doing miracles this morning. And God hasn't changed. You know, he's not changed from this morning to this afternoon. He's still the same God. And he's here right here today. He's here to save. And he's here to heal. And if you are here with a condition in your body that you need healing from, Jesus wants you to be healed. He wants you to be well. Just get some water. <clears throat> I just want to read to you a testimony. Hands up if you heard of the Jeffries brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Jeffries brothers? Okay. That's interesting. So listen. They're worth reading about. They were actually the founders of the, a part, very much part of the foundation of the, the Pentecostal movement. Uh, they're found, founding fathers uh, in, the, in the Pentecostal movement. So let me just read you a little testimony here of some amazing miracles. I, I live in a city called Exeter, down in the southwest uh, of the country. And George Jeffries was an amazing healing evangelist. And in the 30s, he went down to Exeter and he hired a theater that still exists today. It's called the Barnfield Theater. And he went, they called by God to just go down there and preach the gospel. And he started with, um, he hired a hall for, I think, for a week initially. And they, um, he advertised the meetings. And at the first meeting, a grand total of six people turned up to the first meeting. Well, God broke out. 
There were healings and miracles. And soon the, the word of the testimony of what God was doing was spread out around the city. And people started bringing people from all over. I just want to read you an account of just a few years later as the church that was planted as a result of that initial meeting. This happened in this country just a few years ago, like two generations ago. It says, on the Wednesday night of the crusade, there's also almost the same number of people, I think about 60, 65. This is later on in, uh, in a successive meeting. The same number of people who wanted to be prayed for. George's prayer, he prayed this apparently quite regularly when he prayed for miracles. He would pray like this, Lord Jesus, just now. That was, his, that was his phrase that he prayed. Lord Jesus, just now. As he got to the middle of the line, Pastor South told him that there was a mother with a nine-year-old daughter who had been born with no eyes at the meeting. So she had no, no eyeballs. And this was medically confirmed. So she was being seen at the local, it's now called the Royal Devon and Exeter uh, Hospice, where I was born. So she, it was, she was known, well-known, documented case. So she's there, no eyeballs at all. This woman had to take her daughter to the hospital every four weeks so that they could empty the sockets. Obviously, they kind of um, must have got uh, filled up with fluids so that uh, infection could be prevented So once again, everybody was asked to pray. And then a hush fell over the congregation. And God's presence could be sent strongly. By the way, wasn't the worship wonderful this afternoon? The presence, the presence, just towards that halfway, his presence just came. Oh, that was great. Fantastic. Lord Jesus, give this little girl her eyes just now. What a simple prayer. It's a command of faith. You know, when Jesus prayed for people, he never asked the Father whether it was his will. He just gave a command. Be opened. Get up and walk. A simple command of faith. Just now. Her eyelids flicked open. Suddenly, this little girl who had been born with no eyes was looking at us with two beautiful, big, blue eyes. Her mother overwhelmed by joy, jumped up and hugged and kissed her daughter. You know, they took her back to the doctor. She, she, the little girl had a faith of her own, and she went in to see. She said, Mum, you stay out here. I'm going to go in and see the, the doctor by myself. So she went in to see the doctor, and the doctor, the physician, looked at her and said, where's your mother? Why, why, why have you come instead of your sister? And she said, no, I haven't got a sister. And so she said, well, where did you get those beautiful eyes from? And she said, Jesus gave them to me. And she said, can I speak to your mother? And the mother came in and the mother confirmed the miracle. The doctor said, where are these meetings happening? And then she said, can you reserve me two rows at the meetings? And so she brought colleagues. In fact, there were more than two rows of colleagues that came. And that, and that was the foundation of the church in Exeter, which is still, is, in fact, I'm part of that. It's the church that I'm part of now. So listen, this nation is about to come into a time where these kinds of miracles become normal. 
That is the will of God. The will of God is so that the kingdom of God comes and is demonstrated fully. And it has to happen in every nation. In every nation, including this one. And God is committed to it. And he's, he's going to raise up even, even ones in this congregation who will perform miracles like that. So get ready, church. Get ready. It's on its way. It's on its way. I'm not going to spend long on these ones, but the fourth F is fight. Is fight. We're, we're in a spiritual battle. And our victory has already been won. And our personal experience of becoming an overcomer always starts with submission to God. You'll find that. In James. Fighting is important. Remember we're not just interested in getting. It's not a hundred meters that we're doing. It's a marathon. We've got a, we've got a, it's a long distance race that we're going. And we've got to keep going. And we've got to keep fighting. The battle, the battle takes place in our minds. That's where the strongholds are. Any belief that is opposed to the knowledge of God. And the truth of God. Any belief like that is a stronghold. And by the grace of God, it's a work of the spirit. But it's through the renewing of our minds that those victories are achieved. Finally, final F. Here we go. The final F, and this is a big one. To finish the race, we must all learn to forgive. At the end of that passage, Paul talks about a particular individual, Alexander, who opposed him. He talked about a co-worker who he more than likely led to Christ and trained, deserting him. But what does Paul pray? What does he ask the Lord? He says this, it's in verse 16 of chapter 4. May it not be charged against them those words are almost identical to Stephen at the end of Acts 7 Stephen is being martyred Paul is about to be martyred he knows he's, he's, he's very shortly to, be, to die he, he, he's martyred within months more than, more than likely months of writing this letter Stephen is being stoned to death and he he cries out, the Bible says, to God and says, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. When we can learn by, under the grace of God, by the grace of God, to forgive those who've betrayed us, who've hurt us, or done whatever to us or against us. When we can forgive like that, we know that the character of Christ is being richly formed, deeply formed within us. We will each face different types of opposition where we will be, have to choose. And we will be given a choice. We will each have the choice. It's a big one, but it's an important one. In fact, all of these five F's, are all modeled in the life of Jesus. I haven't got time this afternoon to go through those scriptures with you. 
But they're all that Jesus had to. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And of course, when we think about ourselves, when we think about how much God has forgiven us for our sin. We must also remember that Jesus didn't just pay the price for our sin. He paid the price even for those people who have sinned against us. And therefore, we must choose, like Jesus, to forgive those people. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.